0: All right, Eastridge family. Hey, my name is Hunter Holbrook. I'm the communications director here at East. I typically attend our South Campus, so I don't always get a chance to come over here and hang out. But I'm so glad to be here with my East Eastridge family. So represent. You guys ready for this? Starting a brand new series, starting the Book of Romans. Uh, So anyway, uh, uh, as you saw before Katie came up and read, we saw the, the video uh, because this book can be kind of intimidating Romans I mean it's a it's a pretty uh, lengthy book it's got a lot of really complex theological concepts and so we know that it can be kind of intimidating to just kind of start reading the book of Romans but uh, because of that we are providing a lot of resources if you go to eastridge.church/ Romans, you will find all kinds of different resources like family reading plans, uh, different videos if you want to help explain Romans to your kids. We've got a reading plan if you want to read along each day or each week as we go through the book of Romans. Uh, we've got these bookmarks. They are located right here on, on the front of the stage. Um, if after the service or even during the service while, while we're talking, come up and grab one because uh, the thing is, two things. First, uh, we want to go through this book together as a family. We know it can be kind of intimidating. There's a lot, of, lot to break down uh, and unpack throughout this book. So we want to go through and provide as many opportunities and resources for us to be able to do that together as a family. And then, um, so so yeah, check out ro- eastridge.church slash Romans and then uh, grab a bookmark. Now, um, one of my favorite movies, one of our fam- our favorite family movies is The Patriot. Anybody ever seen The Patriot? Mel Gibson, like man, that's a man movie. You know what I'm talking about? Like makes you just go like, huh? yeah. Uh, the Patriot takes place uh, in uh, colonial colonial America, and Mel Gibson is a, a veteran. And he has served in the French and Indian War, but now he's retired on a farm in South Carolina. He's a, a widower, and he's got seven children. And now it's uh, 1776, and the Revolutionary War is taking place. And so he kind he and his family kind of get swept up into this conflict. But the opening scene, scene of the movie uh, shows the family on the farm. They're kind of uh, in different parts working in the fields and hunting and all these, all these different things. But a post rider rides up on the property and delivers mail to the house, and so uh, two of the younger boys run over to uh, Mel Gibson, their dad, and they're like, "A father! A father! A post rider!" And Mel Gibson kind of just goes about his business. And uh, Thomas and Gabriel are out hunting, and so Thomas, the the younger brother, he runs because he's super excited. His hat falls off, and he runs into the house. And Gabriel tells him, "Thomas, wait for father." He puts the mail down. and it's just like, okay. So it's not until later in the day when Mel Gibson, it's all after dinner, and everyone's in bed. He, he goes and retires into the sitting room, and he sees the mail sitting there, and he picks it up. But he knows that Gabriel and Thomas are watching him, just waiting, just waiting for new information, wanting to know, like, what, what, what's in the mail? So he sets it down. And Gabriel and Thomas go, like like they're, they're excited, they want to know. And then eventually Mel Gibson says, so what was in the mail? You know that Mel Gibson voice. Michael, you could probably do that voice pretty well. And then Thomas and Gabriel run over. They're going so fast that they actually skid on the hardwood floor and they begin opening up all the mail because they're craving news and information, especially now that there's this conflict that the country is becoming a part of, this war. And all throughout the the movie, we see this this picture, okay? As Mel Gibson goes to war, as his son goes to war, they write letters back to their family. And so whenever the family gets a letter, we see the picture of them all gathered together whether it's on the porch or somewhere else, they're all gathered together and they read and listen to this letter because it contains valuable information. They want to know, are you safe? Are you healthy? Are you hurt? Are we safe? how how are things going in, in the war? Now you fast forward, okay? We live in a, in the information age where, just at the, at an arm's reach, we can get information whether it's on a computer or on our phone. We can see what's going on in any part of the world. Almost if there's any type of thing we need to know about, we can we can access it. And we don't exactly get excited about post writers anymore. I mean, except for me, I, I love when the mail truck comes by and I'm home. And, like, I can see that she actually put something in the mailbox. Like, we all, like, like, my little kids love it, too. Like, what was in the mail? Go get see what's in the mail. Oh, it was just, you know, most of the time it's just junk. But still, it's exciting, right? But we can kind of become numb to the information. Like, we enjoy it. We, just the way we're designed, we crave new information. We can kind of become numb to it. But have you ever received a handwritten letter in the mail? There's something different Okay? When you receive a handwritten letter in the mail, you open it up, and if it's not a thank you card, because it's like, eh, it's okay, thank you card, they're thanking me for whatever. But if it's an actual letter, it's like, okay, what, what is so important that you took the time to handwrite a note and, and snail mail it to me? Like, whenever you get a handwritten letter, you pay attention to it, right? What if that letter contained life or death information. Where your very survival, your existence depended on the information, the content of that letter. Chances are you and your family you'd, you'd be like, ah, here it is! Hey, g- gather around. Like, what does it say? Well, this, this letter. And that's what the book of Romans is: is a letter. This letter is the information. This is the letter, and it contains information that's a matter of life and death for our souls. And so what we're going to do is, just like we see that picture in in the movie, okay, we're going to gather around as a church family, and we're going to go through... The book of Romans together. And so we're actually going to be, and that's the other reason we do these resources, we're going to be in the book of Romans for the rest of the year. We're breaking it up into four different parts, okay? So uh, we're going to do four weeks now, and then we'll take a break and do something else. Then we'll come back and do another four weeks. And so uh, this is part one of four. Uh, The next four weeks will be in Romans, and then we'll take a break and then do the other three parts. So, uh, again, check out the resources. But here's the thing, okay? We want to gather together at the foot, okay, of, of this letter and have it read aloud as a church family to hear the important information that Paul has for us and for the church. Not just the church back then, but the church now. So uh, if you have a Bible, Scott mentioned this, if you have a Bible, pull it out. Uh, If you don't have one, you could pull out one of the NLTs, the Bibles and the the seat backs. If you want to go ahead and grab a bookmark, go ahead and grab one. I'm going to use this one today uh, as as I go through the message. But we're going to be in Romans chapter 1, just uh, starting right at the very beginning. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And so, we're going to pick out a couple of things in this, uh, in Romans. And so, we're talking a little bit about family, a little bit about uh, unity. And so, uh, the first thing we see about Romans is this simple fact, okay? Romans is a letter. I don't know why we call them books of the Bible, they're, they're really letters. And Romans is a letter. Paul wrote this letter to the church. And this is what we read. In Romans chapter 1. Ready? Here we go. This is it. We're starting Romans right now, right here. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, okay? We said that. Romans is a letter. A slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. All right, so this is a letter, and I want to give you some context and background information to the letter. So the letter was written to a group of churches in Rome. They were probably house churches, a group of uh, a different, maybe four or five house churches in Rome. And they're written about uh, the year 55, anywhere from 55 to 59. And so this was about 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Now, to put that into perspective, is that uh, Eastridge is about 30 years old. Okay, These churches uh, were about maybe 25 years old. These, these are young churches. In the grand scheme of the age of churches, okay, these these churches are relatively young. Now, the interesting thing about uh, the church in Rome is that five years before this letter came, before Paul wrote the letter, uh, Emperor Claudius uh, sent all the Jews in Rome away. As a type of ethnic cleansing of a sort, he said, all the Jews in, in Rome, you've got to get out. And so... While these Jews were were gone, the Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish Christians, the Romans, the Roman citizens of this church, they stepped up and they now were leading this church. Okay, five years later, the emperor dies and the Jews are allowed to return back to Rome. And so the Jews come back and they find a church that's very different than the church that they left. Now... Throughout the book, as, as Paul talks about uh, the, different, the Jews and the Gentiles, you'll see these phrases used to describe two, these two different groups. So use the phrase the strong and the weak. Okay, Now the strong refers to the Gentiles, the Gentile Christians, because they found that through their freedom in Christ... They did not have to adhere to the the law of Moses, the the Torah, which is, uh, you know, things like being circumcised and and having to observe the Sabbath and and having all these rules about food and what you can and cannot eat. Okay? They found freedom from that in Christ. So they were deemed the strong, quote unquote. Okay? Now the weak were uh, referred to the Jews who thought. That the Gentiles, in order to follow Jesus, like, well, they need to be Jewish first. They need to adhere to the law. They need to be circumcised, and they need to observe the Sabbath. So you got these two different uh, groups, the, the weak and the strong. Now, we can look at that, okay, in the context of this letter. You know, fast forward, okay, this is an ancient text, And we could feel like we're pretty far removed from the issues of that church. And I think that the feeling I have right now is that we're pretty, I feel like we're pretty unified as a church family. However, it can still be really easy. Like we're not immune to division. And I think the vision nowadays is much more subtle, but it still exists. I mean, I'm sure there are people in here who are, UGA fans, and Georgia Tech fans. Am I right? I mean, I'm not from Georgia, but I think that's cause for a little bit of, you know, a house divided may fall. (laughs) Okay? We've got, you can be divided by first service and second service. Man, if y'all knew what first service said about y'all. Man, if they knew what we said about them. (laughs) I don't know what we're talking about. All right. We can be divided by age, the old versus young. These kids don't know what they're talking about. What? We can be divided by our, our, our music preferences, you know, too many hymns or too little or too contemporary. I mean, today has been a great mix, which has been uh, such an amazing worship experience. We can be divided by our political affiliation, who the president is at the time. And it may not cause a church split like what we're dealing with here, but it can cause division in your heart, in your mind. So, picture this church with division like they're experiencing and, and this, this controversy, really. And then Paul's letter shows up, and I'm sure that they were, uh, when, when they realized that Paul wrote a letter specifically to their church, I'm sure they were excited to, to get this information and, and hear this news and, and read and listen to Paul's direction and solution to what they were going through. And so we see, that, okay, the next thing we see in this letter is that this letter contains good news, okay? This letter contains good news. All right, so let's keep reading. Verse two. All right, so uh, send out to preach this good news. God promised this good news long ago through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This good news is about His Son. Okay, uh, long ago. Okay, the prophets foretold about this. The people of Israel were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for this this Savior to come. Now. The, the Israelites, the, the, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, they thought that this Messiah was going to come deliver them from oppression, specifically oppression from Rome. But Jesus came not to deliver them from physical oppression, Jesus came to, to free them from the oppression of sin and death. Now, I want you to pay attention here, okay? Look at what Paul says, and think about who his audience is, okay? His audience is made up of Jews and Romans, people, citizens of the the empire who were oppressing the Jews. I mean, that is a combination for some awkward situations at their church family gatherings, you know what I mean? So here's what Paul says about Jesus. And keep in mind who's listening, these Romans. All right. In his earthly life, okay, he was born into King King David's family line. All right. So right off the bat, Paul establishes Jesus' lineage as nobility. He is a descendant from a king. King David. Now that's, uh, that's good news. That's big news for Jews, but also it's respectful for Rome, a Roman citizen who lives their life hailing Caesar. Okay, if you're from a, a noble royal lineage. Verse 4 He was shown to be the Son of God. Okay, that, that phrase is, is common uh, with, with the Hebrews, but it's also common with the Romans in a different way. You see, Caesar, the Caesars, would refer to themselves as son of God because of their position as as the leader of this uh, divine empire. They claimed to be divinity and demanded to be worshiped. So Paul, using those two phrases uh, of King David's line and being the son of God, those those are kind of making their ears perk up a little bit. But here's what he says next. He was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. No other Caesar that I know of throughout history has ever been raised from the dead. He's the true king, the true son of God, to whom we bend our knees and bow in worship. In praise. What Paul is saying here is this: It doesn't matter who you are, or where you come from. All of us are united under the lordship of Jesus. It doesn't matter what perspective you have, what you, uh, what, where your background is. We are all united under the lordship of Jesus. That makes us all on the same playing field. We are all sinners, unholy, but made holy and righteous, justified by the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's what unifies us. Not just this church, but that's what unifies us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the next concept we see in this letter is that This letter is good news, and the good news is for everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. He wraps up with this, verse 5. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and the authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere, which that means us, y'all. Like, we are the Gentiles everywhere. If you're not Jewish, then you're a Gentile, okay? Okay we tell them everywhere what God has done for them. We just sang a whole song just celebrating what God has done. And what has he done? He sent his son Jesus into the world to live, to die, and to be raised again, and he's coming back again. God so loved the what? The world. Not just the people of Israel, not just the Jews, but Everyone, you and me. This good news is for everyone. Again, that unifies us, puts us all on the same playing field under the lordship of Christ. What God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. We're not called to success We're not called to prosperity. We're called simply to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people, not peoples, not people groups, but as the church, one people, one body, one heart, one heartbeat, one voice. We are one. Now may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. The good news is for everybody. And it's the sacrifice of Jesus and his lordship that unites us. And it's through that, through obedience and through our faith that we experience peace and grace, and we bring glory to God the Father. In just a minute, we're going to wrap up. We're going to actually sing a, another song, and, and uh, guys, you can come back up and make your make your way back up here. But before we do, I kind of want to wrap up with a couple of things that Paul says. So if you skip forward a few chapters to Romans 14... Paul addresses specifically the whole disunity concept, the the issue that we're dealing with here in this passage. And so in Romans 14, this is what he says. It's talking specifically about the church family and the disunity that they're, they're experiencing. So in chapter 14, verse 7, he says this. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live it is to honor the Lord. And if we die, it is to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose. Okay? It's not about us. It's about Christ in us and His sacrifice for this very purpose to be Lord of both the living and the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? A view of what Christ has done, why why do you condemn another believer? And in the Greek, it could even be translated this. Why do you condemn your brother? Because that's what we are. We are brothers and sisters. Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God for the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me Every tongue will declare allegiance to God in worship. And if you skip one chapter over, chapter 15, he says this as well. Verse 5. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, may God help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. All right, now, As we get ready to sing the song, this is the verse that I want us all to think about, okay? Verse 6. Then all of you, okay, if we're living in harmony, which is fitting and proper for followers of Jesus Christ, if we're living in harmony, then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do. We're going to gather around and listen to the story. Lift our voice, one voice. Andrew Peterson is a singer-songwriter, and he wrote an album, a Christmas album, called Behold the Lamb of God, and it talks about the coming of baby Jesus into the world. And the very first song, the very first lines, He begins like this. Gather round, ye children, come. Listen to the old, old story of the power of death undone by an infant born of glory, son of God, son of man. Then all of you can join together as one people, as one church, as one family. So Eastridge, church family, that's what I want us to do. I want us to gather around as we get ready to dive deeper into this letter for the next couple weeks, for this next year. As we, as we gather around and listen, I want us to gather around and lift our voices. So if you would, let's stand together. And let's lift our voices and give glory to God, our Father.